the yoga of the Gita and Shirobindo's yoga. We have already touched upon the starting point of all yogas. There is a way of uh, talking about the Vedas, the Upanishads, the Gita's yoga and even Shirobindo by reducing them if I may say so, to a scripture or a book, starting from first sloka to the last sloka. But the problem there is that the book remains a book and it is only just a few scattered hints here and there which connect to our thread of our life. And my personal uh, feeling is that that's not how a scripture should be read. That's not how Shirobindo himself has written. When Shirobindo wrote essays on the Gita, he was not, not translating sloka by sloka. In fact, there is a very first chapter where he talks about our demand and need from the Gita. So also yoga doesn't begin. It's not a book. And, uh, you know, normally we think that because that's how we are brought up in today's times that we read a book and we practice it. Or we learn a process and a technique and we do it. <clears throat> but just as an idol is nothing, if it is not infused by the spirit that it represents, so also all the techniques and processes of yoga are nothing unless it is infused with something very central and intrinsic in it. And the central thing in all yogas, and it comes out very forcefully and beautifully in the yoga of the Gita, is the disciples' aspiration, seeking, search, his faith in the guru, the master, the teacher, and his surrender is willing and loving and glad submission to the guidance of the master. These are the three qualifiers for the path. Otherwise it would be, you know, there are things written in the Gita and one picks up from here and there and practices it. And very often it doesn't lead to the desired result. It can lead to a very different result. For instance, equanimity. Gita speaks about equanimity. And one of the ways one can try to practice equanimity is indifference. That's the strange part. But if one doesn't practice keeping the master in the heart, the aim in view, the aspiration, the seeking, then this one practice can make one indifferent not only to one's own pain, but to all that is going on around, a kind of insensitivity. That's why the word of the scripture is like a double-edged sword. And if one doesn't know how to wield it rightly, it falls back upon the person and ends up destroying. So that's why more than the word, the spirit. And Gita starts very interestingly. We speak about, now again, we can see how the difference is there when we have the spirit and when we only have the form. So in modern yogas, or what we nowadays call as modern yogas, very often we have a traditional system of initiation. How does the initiation, initiation takes place? Somebody goes to a hermitage, to a guru, and the guru initiates into a mantra, gives the diksha, and then one is walks on the path. But look at the Gita. It gives to initiation a very, very different, a very universal meaning and sense. Sri Krishna is a friend of Arjuna. They, are, they have lived together, they have grown together. But Arjuna is not initiated into yoga. And how does he get initiated into yoga? In a moment of crisis. A crisis that at once seizes his intellectual, we were talking about these planes, intellectual, ethical, aesthetic, vital, nervous, physical beings. A crisis that seizes all layers of his the lovely line passage in Savitri, book 1, canto 2, the issue, where Shri says, 
An absolute supernatural darkness falls on man sometimes when he draws near to God. An hour comes when fail all nature's means cast out from the protecting ignorance that he at last must cast out from him his surface soul and be the ungarbed entity within. So this crisis comes in many ways. With Arjuna it's a complete crisis. His whole system breaks down. A physical crisis facing this prospect of death. His own or his own family members. Those whom he loved. An aesthetic crisis. Horror. Repulsion at such an action. An intellectual crisis. By what standard he should walk? His buddhi is bewildered. An ethical crisis. Is it a right thing to do? Is it not a right thing to do? All the conflicting standards are coming into his mind and he wants a way. So this is how the thirst, the fire, sometimes awakens in human beings. This is not the only way. But here it is like such a universal way. Gita is, that's why it's a very universal book. And Shurabinda at one place says, it is the national heritage of India. It's the national heritage. If there is a national book, it is this. It's something very universal in its scope. He doesn't go to a master in a quiet hermitage and he is asking for guidance. I want to, I have heard about Brahman, tell me about Brahman. His problem is very different. I want to act. Should I? Should I not act? Should I do this? Should I not do this? And look at the divine master and the teacher. He doesn't tell Arjuna, what a moment you are asking me. Okay, fine. I'll tell you, just shoot the arrows. He doesn't give him that. He starts unfolding the whole mystery and secret of action. This is typically how the divine works. We may go to him looking for a, you know, quick way to arrive at Nirvana. He'll say, okay, fine. And then he will show us the entire gamut in which we are caught, the wide scope of our strivings. And ultimately he will reveal to us the secret, the grand result. So wherever there is striving, wherever there is seeking, wherever there is even, though questioning is not seeking, questioning is a mental process. Wherever there is this aspiration to know, to grow, to act in the right way, to be, there the fire is lit. Whatever covering or clothing it may take, the grahapati is in place. And wherever man is satisfied with his first formula of life, that means food, money, comforts, there the fire is not yet lit. Real spirituality starts when one wants to seek something more than whatever he has got, this may be vague at first or it may be very clear or the vague thing becomes clearer. It becomes clearer by reading some books. It becomes clear by the company of those who are walking the path. It becomes clearer simply by the passage of time. It becomes clear as one strives however imperfectly. One doesn't have to worry about the imperfection of a method to start with. Very often, okay, I have to meditate. How should I meditate? And mother says this, yesterday we were reading in another context, but it applies here also. Some people who are very scrupulous state the problem wrongly. So it is stating the problem wrongly. How should I sit? Is it okay if I sit with my head erect? Is it okay if I am sitting on this chair? Is it okay if I am cross-legged? It's irrelevant. Mahasya is stating the problem wrongly. What is important is the state and the attitude with which we are sitting. Are we sitting to meditate upon the Lord? How beautifully Krishna says. Mayeva mano arpit buddhi to me, offering, that state of offering is meditation, also an act of joyous offering to the divine. This, these few moments, accept me, my body, my life, my nervous system, my heart, 
my mind accept it accept from me this offering do with it what you want to be do i do not know how to sit and meditate i do not know how to pray i do not know anything illumine me teach me and then the answer may completely baffle us sometimes with this extraordinary force and simplicity the sahanadi one of the ladies in the ashram beautiful voice she has written a lovely book 40 years since not available unfortunately i don't know whether it's on the ashram our website please put it up i have a copy which i can spare just for putting up but to get back <laughs> i don't want to give it <laughs> lovely book how her journey goes and you know so, so many gems but one of the places where she says when i sit for meditation i don't know how to meditate she asked i don't know how to meditate but when i sit for meditation i just imagine myself in the mother's lap shobindo says that is one of the best possible forms of meditation we are bewildered shunti teller you don't know how to meditate what are you doing in the ashram for so many years don't you know there are three types of meditation you have to witness the thoughts or reject them sit and concentrate in agni chakra you don't know any of these things what nonsense you are sitting and meditating and shobha says this is one of the meditation itself must be sahaj spontaneous it must be the expression of an inner condition not like a fixed prayer that every day we read and poor divine must be getting damn bored we bore him to sleep oh this fellow is coming again he is going to read out the prayer from the book that's not our prayer that's not my connection with the divine my prayer may be very different one day it may be lord give me this day my daily bread another day it may be take away this bread but give me your vision the third day may this bread be shared by all the fourth day nothing of the bread just the delight gratitude thou hast given me so much the fifth day gratitude that thou hast taken away so much the sixth day lord take all of me take all of me take all of me seventh day no words nothing just a blank and one bows down in a state of surrender this is the path of yoga not a fixed process and technique every day to be repeated like a parrot parrots do lovely mantras by the way they learn it by heart the <laughs> ones they learn it they don't mistake but parrot remains in a prison cage or at most on little uh, trees and they look very nice but look at the swans how they travel far to mansarovar eating drinking only the nectar of the flowers with high wings they fly everything comes to uplift them that purity that comes by contact of the divine that faith which is needed before we can step one foot on the path arjuna has that faith he is in a state of crisis but he knows krishna can lead him out of crisis he seeks he wants to know tell me guide me and then he does something which is so beautiful the most beautiful act that the human soul or human being can ever do and experience in one's life shishyaste ham sadhima i am your devotee your disciple i surrender myself to you you teach me you lead me who is krishna people often ask oh that's okay sounds very good but we must find our own little krishna that krishna is gone that krishna is not available to us arjuna was lucky so we must find somebody who can interpret krishna for us shloka by shloka how beautifully the mother realized the yoga of the gita that is an example both mother and shobindo shobindo goes to the jail totally different purposes he is heart is full of that aspiration 
for the nation. It must rise. India, land of the Vedas is fallen so low. What is the way? What is the path? What is the process? And he says, Sri Krishna came to me and he placed the Gita in my hands. Its strength entered into my heart and I realized the truths of the Sanatan Dharma. What a way. What a powerful way. The mother, the key is, she gets the key. Very poor translation of the Gita. But the key she gets right. The key is Krishna is the imminent divine. And Arjuna is the seeking disciple. This key is universally available. Imminent divine is always there. He was there 4,000, 5,000 years back. He is there today. He will be there tomorrow. He will be there 5,000 years hence. Therefore, Gita is still relevant and will be relevant to mankind. Provided we have the key. This is the key. If nowhere else, divine is there with us. He is the only reality. So he turns and says, tell me, what should I do? Now the, his first problem is, this is the problem of all of us. We are not philosophers who are seeking. We are mostly confused and bewildered about actions. And then Krishna teaches him the very first lesson. He says, oh Arjuna, you are doing good. I didn't know. You are the doer. He teaches him, nature is the doer. Arjuna doesn't understand this language. He says, nature is the doer, then who am I? Nature is the doer. It's doing through so many things. You identify flow with the current and you think you are the doer. Just like we identify ourselves with the dress or with the house. So when somebody appreciates the dress, we think, oh, that person is praising me. That's why nowadays there is the distinction. No, Don't say that your dress looks good. You should say, you look good in this dress. <laughs> Somebody is praising the house, the person is praising me. Me is not this. Me is something else. We spoke about this entire gamut of physical, emotional, vital, mental, all these things and we want to understand it intellectually. Being part of the system doesn't work out. We can understand, have an example, I mean, we have a system intellectually, build up systems of thought. But we are still trapped in the prison. That's why people spend a lot of time intellectually trying to understand the scripture. But they still remain caught. Why? Because the first step is to get the right poise, the right orientation. Step back from the field of nature. Very first practice that Krishna gives to Arjuna. Arjuna, you are too much overwhelmed by the scene, by the battlefield, by the appearances, by the thoughts of death, by destruction, all this. Don't be so overwhelmed, Arjuna. Step back. However pleasant, however seemingly good the image may be, however horrifying and terrifying the image is, learn to step back. And the mother gives a very beautiful way to do it. She says, we are all caught up in the whirlpool of whirlwind of nature. We are driven by it. Yandra Rudini Maya. Gita puts it as a fly on the wheel. It is sitting on the wheel and saying, I am going up, I am going down, I am doing this, I am But who is driving? The wheel is going up and down. And it's thinking, I, I, I. This is understand. Nature is carrying you and you are being driven. Try to think about it, that whatever you are going to do, how important it is, something for which you are fretting and fuming so much, how important it is. And then we start looking at it like this, then we discover that most of the things, 90% of the things which upset us, for which we complain, we get depressed, distressed, we are really not worth even considering. They are not the most important things of life, they are probably not even the important things of life. 10% yes, there are issues which are, you know, serious issues. A lot of things. Food is not good. Salt is more. Salt is less. Weather is bad. So and so said this to me. So and so didn't say this to me. Oh, the stock market has gone down. Absolutely, you know, irrelevant. You know, once one husband and wife, one husband says, you know, in my life, I never had a single fight with my wife. So, you know, 
People didn't trust him. He said, how is this possible? He said, very simple. All the small decisions my wife takes, all the major decisions I take. Is it? That is also not possible. He says, what, what, what? Can you explain? He says, very simple. What fridge, what TV has to be brought, which car has to come home, where we build the house, what plot, how many rooms, all these decisions, where we should go, where we shouldn't go, all these decisions my wife takes. Oh, these are... Then what are the major decisions you take? He says, I decide about the nuclear policy of Iran, about the battle in Israel. <laughs> I talk about them. Actually, there is a subtle truth in it. Most of the things in life to which we give so much importance are actually small issues. And we think they are very important issues. Yesterday also we were reading that. Mother says so many things which human beings regard as very important are not important from the divine point of view. Other things are more important. So what is more important? Most important is this aspirin. This is the first thing that one has to do. This fire has to be fostered, nourished, nurtured. In synthesis, Sri says he is Krishna to be nurtured and nourished, not modified as the Asuras do, like the Titans. And in the Vedas it is said, this fire, it is very interesting, is described as oldest of the old and he is also described as a child. He is the child, he is the youngest of the young. So just as in a house when a child is born, there is so much joy and everybody takes care of the child. So when this fire is born, it is the deity, this aspiration has to be nurtured, nourished, a whole lot of practices of yoga are simply to nurture this. That's why it is advised don't just go to any kind of party or any place, not because of a moral point of view, not because of bad and good labels and judgmentalness. No. It's a practical consideration. Certain activities don't indulge. That's why Brahmacharya, that's why drinking, smoking because it just clouds. It, it's not good for the fire. It's like smoke, bulk, lot of smoke and dust thrown into it. Often this image comes in the Puranas where Wherever Yagna is going on, there the uh, Asuras, Rakshasas come and they throw uh, wine and throw meat and destroy the Yagna. It's the same image. Same thing happens even in collective Yagna, which we are experiencing at this point of time. To be very sure that there is a collective Yagna of Mother and Shurabindo. And all kinds of forces have thrown things to create utter division, chaos and you know this side, that side, all kinds of side. But what about the fire? To be on the side of the fire. Not to align to this intellectual idea, that intellectual thought, but to align to the fire. This is what orients us, unites us. That is why so beautifully the secret is given in one of the Vedas, in the Rig Veda. How to create a common collectivity. Uniting around the fire. Sangha Chattvam, Sangvadattam, Sango Manasi, Janata. May we speak with one voice. May we walk the same path, the same aspiration in our heart. So this comes when this fire is nurtured, nourished. So how to nurture and nourish the fire? Sri Krishna says, I'll tell you a technique. What is the technique? Arjuna, do yagna. Now you, now something new comes to Arjuna. My God, I was asking you that, tell me whether to shoot or not. He is telling me do yagna. First he tells, disengage the buddhi. First we have already spoken. Disengage the buddhi from this field of nature. You will have jnana. So Arjuna is now confused. You are, that means you are telling me not to fight. I disengage and have jnana. So if I have jnana, it is superior to karma. This is his question. That you mean I should not do this karma? Jnana, detachment, buddhi, this is higher. So then why you are again telling me after the, at the end of all this, fight? So Arjuna is bewildered. Lord, tell me in clear words what I should do, what I should not do. Is karma superior or jnana superior? And then he reveals the secret of karma. We are all doing karma. We cannot stay away from karma. The whole cosmos is engaged in karma. Why? Because we are not the doer. Nature is the doer. And nature is ever gatishil, gatiman, moving, Yat kincha jagatyam jagat. That's the meaning of the phrase. Everything is constantly moving, changing. 
Even if we sleep, we are changing. That's why when we grow up, children used to grow up sometimes, oh, I've grown taller a little bit. Morning we see that, you know, the waste of the body has accumulated and it has to be thrown out. What has happened during night? I was only sleeping. I didn't do anything. We go into dream worlds. All the time there is action going on and we cannot stay away from action. And who is doing the action? Nature is doing the action. Why does nature do the action? How does she do the action? She offers it to her Lord. So where do we come in the picture? We can also do it. We can also do action as a yagna. So yagna is, now the fire is lit, it has to be tended, it has to be nourished, nurtured, made to grow. So that's where service Seva. Many people don't understand this. At one place, Mother says in the agenda to Satpreem, when he goes into these moods, goes away, and you know, he gets into these rebellion moods, I am going away, I am doing this, I am doing that, me, me, me. So, Mother tells him, You know what? There is one thing you don't understand. You are full of I, I, I. But what you do not know, what you are missing out, is the joy of service. Yoga is never complete unless one engages in service of the divine. It's not just an intellectual process. Far from it. Service, whatever way. How to do service? So beautifully Mother says that all the four levels of our being. Offering, how to give. Some give their work to the divine. See, yesterday we were talking of the Chaturvarna. And how the Chaturvana connects with this. Some give their work to the divine. That means physical. Some give their life. Some give their wealth. That means the vital. Some give their life. And some give their soul. All the four layers of our being. Some give nothing. So first he says they are the true children of God. Who give everything. Some give nothing. They are always wanting. Like beggars, everywhere we are wanting. And wanting what? Wanting something which are worthless, which will more and more entrench us. In fact, it's a sign of it seems um, a realized person that he can buy a magic wand, give us whatever we want. But Krishna is very smart. He is not deceived. Sometimes he takes away. He says, oh, too much into wants. I am going to take away. And we cry, cry foul. I loved you, I worshipped you, I prayed to you, what you have done to me. And some give nothing. They only want. And then the mother says, those who give nothing, whatever their value or position in the world, for the divine purposes, they are valueless ciphers. Zero. So, Arjuna is asked, give, offer. What should Arjuna offer? What is there I can offer? Mother says, always there is something you can offer. We can offer our actions. We can offer our state of being. We can offer our consciousness. And there also, there are very interesting things. When we have to offer something to the divine, will I just make any offering? I'll just pick up any, you know, in India there is this thing, I'm sure it's everywhere, that we don't offer a, you know, flower which has dried up or, you know, uh, the bloom has gone away. To the divine. We offer a fresh blooming flower to the divine. So we can offer a very tamasic, dull, bitter consciousness. Divine will take it. But it will taste to him like karila. I don't know he likes karila or not. But I guess he doesn't. It's bitter. <laughs> and he doesn't have diabetes. So he doesn't need to take it. Though he is full of sweetness. But when our consciousness, when the nature has been worked upon and then we offer, he takes delight. Wow, what a taste. Lovely. This is not a narrow consciousness which is offering itself. This is a consciousness which is wide, beautiful. How tasty it is. So this offering, yagna is the second secret. And Sri Krishna says, do all this as an offering. Offering, offering into the fire. 
Now Arjuna is more bewildered. You are asking me to fight this war and fight it is an offering to the yagna. Do a yagna. Whom do I offer? How do I offer? Then Krishna gives the third secret. It's a great secret. Whom do we offer? Offer unto me, to the Lord. It's not, you know, very often people say, uh, psychic being is the divine. I put in my psychic being. It is the priest of the sacrifice. The Lord is seated within. He is the Hota. He offers it to the Lord who is within. We have to offer it to the divine who is within us. So who is the divine? Then another confusion starts. Is it Brahma or Vishnu? Christ or Krishna? Buddha or Mahavira? Who is the divine? So see Krishna says, any name, any form is enough. Doesn't matter. You offer with the right state and I will receive it. Even when you go to a limited name and form. But if you are taking it that you are offering to the divine and not to a limited deity, the thing goes to him. In any case, they will go to him. But through a long process, chain. When you offer with that sense, that is why in the Puranas you will see, in Shiv Purana, Shiva is shown as the ultimate deity. Now Mahadev is coming. Vishnu Purana, Vishnu is shown as the ultimate de deity. In Garud Purana, Garud will be aggrandized. And that's why we have this well-known, today we were listening, and of course uh, Guru Purnima, Guru Brahma, Guru Vishnu, Guru Devo Maheshwara, Guru Sakshat Parabrahma, Tasmai Sri Guru Vinama. If one is offering to the Guru and if one is looking at the Guru only as a limited personality, limited form and name, it doesn't bear the full fruits of yoga. It was a dictum in Indian yoga and it's still valid and Sri speaks about it. Even you can go higher, even through an inferior Guru, provided you see in him the divine. Guru has to be seen as none else but Parabrahma. Whether he has realized Parabrahma or not is a later, later issue. But if we do this offering to whatever name or form, and there are such beautiful examples in the history of Indian thought, where even an ordinary model, Kabir, Kabir's guru was not uh, so great, Dharamdas. Very few people know his name. In fact, Kabir goes and rescues his guru from idolatry. And yet, Kabir rises to such heights, because Guru, Guru Brahma, Guru Vishnu, Guru Devo Maheshwara. So when we turn, we should turn with that full trust in the leading. That he will lead me. He is none else but the divine incarnate. So the third secret he says, offer to the divine within. Or if you are lucky, the divine outside. Or best, highest of readings to the avatar. If one is exceptionally fortunate. This is a letter of Sri that if there is none else, offer to the divine within. You will be led and guided. If you have a guru outside, wonderful. But if you are one of those fortunate ones to be able to offer or be guided by the avatar himself, then there are no limits to your realizations. Making a distinction between the avatar and the gurus. And this is something which I keep uh, saying. Shobindo is not one of the masters and gurus. The masters are the full moon guiding us in the night. But the avatars, they come from the sun blaze of truth embodied so that we can be whole ignorance can be dispelled. Night itself may be vanquished. So this is the beauty. So he says, offer unto me. And then Sri Krishna gives the secret of the avatar precisely at that point of time. There are three secrets that Sri Krishna gives and he uses the word secret. And Sri emphasizes on it. These are the secrets that all of us need to know. And these secrets open the way. The first secret, God dwells within us. He is not outside us. He is everywhere beyond. But most important, first step, He dwells within us. Wherever we go, we carry the divine in our heart. And later on, if we keep surrendering, 
we realize that divine is carrying us and then the journey is so beautiful everywhere we are never alone it's a 24/7 friend whom any time we can call contact and he comes even i never and you know there is such beautiful experience i i mean i remember one of again i fall back upon this not it's it's nothing to do with uh, me or x or y or z everybody has these experiences countless such once in sleep waking up with intense pain pain <laughs> i am half sleepy and i have woken up with pain and i don't know what to do i'm also feeling feverish i have paracetamol somewhere in the bag i want to i am feeling too lazy to even get bed to us anything and i say how stupid how can i even think of such things mother 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 <laughs> i don't know when i slipped off to sleep woke up all free where was it what was the pain <laughs> where has it gone in sleep now why this example in sleep i am asleep but she is awake she doesn't take time to oh you have woken me up at night that to in a train how do i locate you she knows far away from ashram wherever mother says when i choose someone somebody becomes my disciple i put an emanation of myself in that person which wants me the moment there is a danger it wants and instantly before the flash of a light see this is how the guru acts otherwise if it just showing the path and you walk then if you are in a state where you suddenly find you are landed in a bogmire you don't know what to do the guru will say i told you not to do this first to reach out to him will be very difficult but the mother walks with us she says when you sink i sink with you so does krishna tell arjuna you have forgotten me i have not life after life we have been together and he says i have given this yoga first to whom i have given to vivaswan surya surya dev so arjuna is now totally confused he said what do you mean surya dev what kind of yoga you are giving to surya dev i am doing the yagna what yagna are you doing for what purpose you don't need to act if you are god if i don't act the worlds will go into perdition don't you know arjuna what are you acting for because we always think we act for something we must get but he gives the secret of desireless action by his own example this is another beautiful thing god's own example second secret first secret is god dwells within us and this god is become has become everything that is how shubhendu describes he is not just some things and some things he is not he is a all vast all pervading reality who dwells within us and there is a way to find him through concentration through offering through surrender and the second secret is god becoming human and guiding us by his own example and he says arjuna i am giving you this secret because you are dear to me this secret is a inner revelation god leading humanity by becoming human the avatar and by turning to that human personality we turn towards the supreme divine and we are led and guided and then the highest secret but much transpires before he gives the highest secret so this is in a in the very beginning this is in a nutshell in the first six chapters he gives this you he says what you have to do learn to disengage your buddhi from the field of nature where it's caught up so badly our soul is like a bird caught in the bushes of human nature entangled physical vital mental intellectual and we have read all this so all the more concepts some people want to know whether i am physical vital mental knowing by what by the mind mind can easily fool it can even say yo this psychic where is nothing but pure intellectual or just a surface emotion so first thing is for this bird to come out of the field of nature first fundamental freedom and for the bird to come out simplest way the savior hands of grace but what happens when the hands come try to take the bird out it is crying in that mesh 
But when the hands come to take it out and it starts moving away, you say, oh my bushes, my dear bushes, my home, you are taking me away from there. I love that space. I was so cozy. It gets frightened of the vastness of the sky. No, no, this was comfortable. Don't push me out of my comfort zone. Because it's very strange. We begin to love that prison. We love our nature and call it, it's me. I won't change. You should change. Why should I change? First you change, then I will think about changing. World should change. Why should I change? Everybody should change. Then I'll change. So nobody changes in the process. But when we take it that I must first do something about this chaos and confusion in my own life, in my own nature, then I'll find the right principle for the world action. Sri Krishna is not pushing Arjuna into world action. He's telling him, understand, have the right buddhi. This buddhi is not just uh, what we normally understand by reason and intellect. So act, but act in an illumined consciousness. In one of the places Shubhinda says, it's no use talking about insisting on action if one, one does not have the light with which to act. There is no light and one is acting. That action has no meaning. In that sense, buddhi is superior to action. Meaning thereby, unintelligent action driven by all kinds of conceptions, notions, even these ideas of helping, these are not illumined actions. Whereas first the illumination, then when there is illumination, with the illumination, lot of things of the ignorance go away, the grip of desire becomes less and less, and then one practices, one of the first practices before one does all actions as an offering is Nishkam Karma. It's a very, very simple practice, but very powerful. Shri speaks about it at great lengthiness on the Gita. That when you do an action, we do action with the eye on the fruit. So he says, fruit may come, may not come. Now, if we know that fruit will not be good, then we do it with, you know, not too much enthusiasm and joy in it. So he said, no, you have to still do it with all the skill and perfection. This is a training ground. You may not get what you want, you desire. Your promotion may be given to somebody else. Yet you have to do it with all the perfection and skill and enthusiasm and joy. It's a tremendous practice, great training, easy to hear. I mean... It's so difficult because you may be in circumstances where you don't like anything around you. And yet you have to do it with that. Every person who comes to you, you have to bring, you can't afford to be irritated, impatient. Oh, I don't like my job. It's not my job. It's a field given to me to work upon. That's my, that's the place where divine has placed me. He says that you have to do it. Not with an eye on result, but only, purely, do the action beautifully, with all the perfection that it comes. And then it becomes yoga. It's not that one has to do something else. Very often people think, okay, uh, I am working all my day, then I have no time to do yoga. Well, you have all the time in the world to do yoga. A mother bringing up the child can do yoga. A person working in somebody's house can do yoga. A person sitting in office can do yoga. A person running a business empire can do yoga. Or a shabri sweeping the floor every day can do yoga. Provided this action is done with not mechanically, routine. That's what is the big problem. That when we do an act, one day, two day, practical difficulty, I am just sharing, you know. One does it with that joy. Third day you will see it's becoming mechanical. Fourth day somebody says something and you say, what's the use of doing? Now one is doing but thinking, I don't know why I came to the ashram. Have I done something wrong? I have spoiled my life. Then there are always people, forces, which will take the form of people. See, yeah, yeah, I don't know, you know, things are not good. Then somebody else will come and say, you know what, if you come, I'll give you a nice university post. They feel, ah, it is mother's grace. Now I have the chance to work. You go there, the same ego will come. So in the ashram, when people have, you know, ashram is a very peculiar dynamics. 
If you have a boss, I tell you, you are stuck with that boss for the rest of your life. You can change. I mean, you can ask for a change, but it's not generally welcomed. Mother used to say, if you change your department, you'll have the same problems. And there are people who have done it and seen it. They keep changing one department, another, another, another. Eventually they say, I think I'd better leave the ashram. But that's where the training comes. My boss is bad, rough. He's doing something which I feel, oh, this should be done in an ashram. But yet I have to stay focused. I can still do this action as an offering to the eternal. My bit of the action can still be done. Nobody is stopping me. Nobody can stop me. It can be done all through the day and night. Nobody can say eat this food in this state. It's a choice I make. Nobody can come between me and the divine. This is the beauty of this yoga. That it can be done anywhere by anybody. Provided the fire is lit and one is sincere about going through the path. So one does it as a offering. Offering, offering, without desire. Sometimes one has done very well, but things go amiss. And yet one does it. Sometimes there are actions which are not to one's liking. Like Ravindraji was given the task of handling eggs and he was a paka. No, he won't touch eggs. He was given a task. And he had to do it. Or Rishabhchan to kill the bugs. I am a Jain, mother, I can't do it. No, you do it. Do it with a state of surrender. You can't say then, this is a wonderful training which one receives in the ashram. This is a side of the ashram life one cannot understand till one lives it. Because one sees only the superficial surface. The ego is hit and the more sharp it is, the more it is hammered. And if one takes all this in the right spirit, then the blossoming takes place beautifully. Because we are not here to expand the empire of the ego, but to live a true life. So as a yagna, with the sense of the divine within, dedicated to the eternal, this is the simple path. And then as we proceed upon this path, it begins to reveal many sides, many dimensions, many mansions of this vast existence, he begins, we, we get that vision, how he is there in everything, everywhere. Then we begin to discover the divinity in all things, the cosmic vision of the divine. Not only in things which are pleasant and beautiful, but even things which shock our eyes and nerves. Even there he dwells. That is the grand vision of the Gita. But what do we do as a practice? Start with, because our nature is normally caught up in either the tamurajasic mode or the sattvarajasic mode. So, as an initial practice, Sri Krishna says, cultivate the daivi gun. Daivi gun is basically sattvarajas mode. All the beautiful qualities, he says, uh, compassion, tejaha, dhriti, the Sanskrit terms are so beautiful, steadfastness, shaucha, cleanliness, Swadhyaya, dwelling upon the great truths which are there in the scriptures. Shama, forgiveness, Daya, kindness, courage, frankness, Arjavam. It's such beautiful words to translate them into English is sometimes to lose their real sense. Simplicity, humility, we see those 12 petals of the mother, at least if those 12 we can cultivate. This is path. That's how purification takes place. Otherwise, we will be misled. Humility and vigilance are safety on the path. Mother says, if that is not there, one is misled by the hostiles and all kinds of forces. Far, far away. One thinks one is doing yoga, but one has been led by ambition and ego. So, so much one has to practice all these qualities. If we cultivate, it becomes easier. And once we have done this, cultivated these qualities, and slowly with steady practice got rid of the tamo rajasic element in the nature. What are tamo rajasic elements? They are at all, all levels. Inertia to move. Tamas in the mind. Not ready to get rid of fixed ideas and habits. 
it is amazing people read shurabindo people uh, you know hear they talk about shurabindo but when it comes to their own life hopelessly and miserably tied to the same old patterns why because of tamas strong hold on the mind should i should i not or simply an unwillingness unwillingness to give up the old consciousness for the sake of the new that's why mother says do not cling do not cling do not cling then we are ready for the new and when we have done all this then comes the great secret with which we'll stop and then have questions mother calls it herself this is the great secret and she says sri aurobindo gave it and he wrote about it in essays on the gita the great secret the greatest secret of our life the greatest mystery of existence is not knowledge not works but love that is the secret but what love not the love as we understand human love love heals like that film where you know somebody heals a person by human love it is possible provided that love has undergone a reasonable amount of transmutation but love divine this whole universe is a pulsation of love of delight that has gone into cosmos everywhere love dwells even in the darkest corner where there is not a single ray of light love dwells love is the key love is the secret and the way to approach that love is through utter self abandonment and self giving this is the greatest of all secrets shri krishna himself tells arjuna arjuna i have told you all these things <laughs> to show you the way but do you know i am going to give you the highest secret of secrets that is how gita describes it and what is the secret of secrets you don't know how to act you don't know which is the best code of conduct you don't know the method the process anything you don't know your dharma what is to be done and not to be done doesn't matter sarv dharman parityajya stick to nothing cling to nothing mamekam sharanam raja give thyself unto me surrender thyself to the divine and then i take complete responsibility aham twa sarva pape bhyo moksha ishyami mahasucha this is the great promise of the lord of the gita valid for all times to come this is a promise every incarnation has given in in one's own way when christ says i am the path and i am the way it's that only we limit it oh that means he is the only way but shri krishna already clarifies that doesn't matter in whatever way you approach he makes sure that we don't limit him to that little frame of krishna but krishna who is imminent in this in everybody krishna who is cosmic krishna who is supra cosmic transcendent that is the way we have to look at the divine and that divinity is everywhere to worship to pray to surrender to him that is the great path uh, many more elements we'll stop here take question answers and then how shurabindo's yoga takes us still further and what are its new elements unique elements that we'll talk about in the later session maybe in the evening so questions solid in quarter past 12 but we can take some bliss <laughs> yeah yes please yeah. if you elaborate the word parashakti as used in the bhagavad gita in light of the abhindos yes actually i thought that i'll come to that paraprakriti the double nature and thanks for reminding that also but i thought that i'll you know come naturally in the inshurbindu section because it's hinted in the gita that there are two but in the gita's context i'll elaborate inshurbindu light will come to it in a elaborate way so the gita speaks of the double nature we spoke only of one nature which is trigunatmak prakriti and in which the soul finds itself trapped so when it is freed what happens to it 
then what happens to nature? How does it act? Where comes the impulsion? Wherefore one is driven by what breath to what destinations? This is a question, valid question. So Gita reveals, Sri Krishna reveals. And now you know about my lower nature, Trigunatmak Prakriti. Now I shall tell you about my Para Prakriti. <laughs> there is a higher nature. The nature of the Divine Himself, one with Him. So when we get freed from the lower nature, we don't abandon action. Because if there is no higher nature, there will be no action. But then we are driven, as Shobinda puts it in one of his aphorisms, as a leaf by the breath of God. And that nature, it has many aspects. In fact, our lower nature is a reflection of that nature, a shadow of that nature. That part we will talk at length. But the secret that Gita reveals is that something of that Paraprakriti has entered or in fact is used the word become the Jiva, Paraprakriti Jiva Bhuta. What is our soul, psychic being? It is the Divine Mother, that Paraprakriti, which condenses itself. There is a very beautiful story about it in the Rig Veda and the Mother speaks about it in her own way. Condenses itself as a small little nucleus and sits herself in the heart of creatures. That Paraprakriti. How beautifully it is described in Savitri. But since she knows the toil of mind and body and life, as a mother knows and shares her children's lives, we are not anath. But since she knows the toil of mind and body and life as a mother knows and shares her children's lives. See, puts a small portion of herself, a being no bigger than the thumb of man, into a hidden region of the heart. What does it do? To face the pain, pain and forget the bliss. That's why in spite of the pain, we do not run away. We want to conquer it. But since he knows the toil of mind and body and life, as a mother knows and shares her children's lives, she puts forth a small portion of herself, a being no bigger than the thumb of man, into a hidden region of the heart to face the pain and forget the bliss. This in us laughs and weeps, exults in the victory, bleeds upon the cross. Yet, it is the king within. So this portion of that Paraprakriti is there in soul, as the psyche being. That's why the movements of the soul are the true spontaneous movement. That's why the Gita makes a distinction between uh, the true nature, Swadharma and Sabhava, where it is the Paraprakriti's impulsion moving us. And the crust that have developed through the lower nature, the clouds of the lower nature. So a Kshatriya is moved, impelled by the Paraprakriti to battle and fight and conquer. But the clouds of lower nature may put in desire. If I conquer, I'll have annex this kingdom. That's why uh, in ancient times there was this Ashwamedh Yagya, which was a very inner process. Rajasu Yagya. Rajasu Yagya was conquest so that one becomes a Chakravarti Raja. And Ashwamedhya, which will make him a Samrat, it was not just for annexing the kingdom, but to tie everything in one unity. And for that light, for a way of life, which is, for want of better word, but a word which is must, much misunderstood and Shubindu puts it in the right context, Aryavart, a way of life which uplifts us, ennobles us. It was not to crush kingdoms, to crush people, put them under dominion like the Asura does, but the Devi conquest. So the whole approach that if such be the Sabhava and Sudharma, because that is driven by the Paraprakriti, but it gets smart. Or if Paraprakriti's impulsion is to seek after truth and light and knowledge, this is the Sabhava and Sudharma of the Brahmin, 
Seek it. Forget about all else. Shobhita says that in the Gita. This concept of duty did not exist. So if it be, one is moved like Vivekananda to abandon the family and take sannyas or like Buddha to trample upon all family relations and walk into the forest. So he must do throwing everything into the bonfire because the call of the spirit is higher than everything else. That stands. So the Gita very often is misused to you know justify duty. Dekho Gita mein likha hai. You must do your duties towards parents. Parents are the first one to remind. You must do your duty towards society. You must do your... That's not what Gita speaks. It's not... It's a very gross modern misunderstanding. So thanks for, you know, just uh, reminding. There's para prakriti. There's a higher nature which is concealed. That's the nature of the Lord himself. And we can act driven by that. Because this is a problem. Then what will impel a person? Sabhava and Sudharma. But then the Gita takes us to the doors of the super mind and leaves us there. One has lived one's life according to Swadharma. But it ends Sarva Dharma and Parityaja. Shravindra says in his Yogic Sadhana he writes the first thing that the Sadhaka starts with surrenders the Swadharma. Now this is a very big thing. Because a new creation has to come up. It's no more based on these four varnas. Talked about it yesterday and something very new. Anything else? Yes, please. Yes, so it's a step-by-step -step process. First step is to learn to distinguish between nature and we may use the word soul, okay, which nothing can destroy. That's how the Gita proceeds. Now, in that practice, one of the things we have to cultivate step-by-step. -step. He says, okay, when you do that, still you act, you act according to your sadharma and sabhava. If you do it, you're fine. You're going through that. Second is he says, I mean, not to mistake the doer and, and the self. The second thing he says that nature itself has several layers. So try to, um, you know, broadly, first he talks about the three uh, trigunatmak and then he makes it into a broad category of deva and asura much later. But nevertheless, essence is uh, tamo rajasik is the asuric nature if one really looks at it uh, in a very direct way. And the Rajasattvic is the nature ascending up, is the uh, Daivi nature. So cultivate the Daivi nature. Because it's not that one day one will be freed, etc. And then one goes through the path of action. One acts, but actions become like Yagna. No more for desires. <coughs> so the problem here is that people often feel if not by desire, then why should one even act? Then he reveals the secret of action. One is not driven to act by desire. One is driven actually by the Subhava and Sudharma. That's why he tells Sarjuna, even if today, actually did that, no. Because his desire was not satisfied. He wanted Bracius whom Agamemnon has taken away in the Trojan War. So he says, I am not going to act. He didn't have Krishna by his side. And the fellow is missing his fate. <coughs> actually, it is better. He was, it was predicted that if he, he will die, if he dies in the war, he will uh, become immortal in his name. Or if he doesn't, then he will live very long because he is, after all, God's blood in him, like Bhishma. He is also child of, uh, you know, Thetis, that river. So he is carrying that. But then what happens to Achilles? After a while, he is driven to act. An event takes place, that's how destiny is, and his own nephew is killed by Hector unwittingly because he has worn the cuirass and um, shield of Achilles um, uh, because he is, he is tormented. That why isn't he fighting the war? And he's killed. Now, when he's killed, Achilles jumps into the war. So, it is his Sodharma to act. So, we are not impelled by desire, desire clouds us. We are impelled actually by Sudharma, but that Sudharma gets covered by all these clouds 
and we have to get rid of those things not of the action itself this is what whereas arjuna is making the mistake of withdrawing from action he says no don't withdraw from action but act in a true light so he says where is the true light he says within you swadharmo nidhanam shriya pardharmo bhyava somebody else may tell you that take sanyas and that may be better for that person so don't follow that you find your own swadharma that's why he says swadharmo nidhanam shriya pardharmo bhyava then he says well who is to help me in this process of distinguishing he says you are the helper and you are the you know shatru atme vatmano bandhu atmane varipuratmana you are the friend and you are your own helper you don't need anybody your own buddhi if you sufficiently disengage it will tell you so that's how one does not then but what where vedi ji actually is pointing that's a very high truth that should be the will reveal to us gita only touches that secret that where does swadharma and swabhava come from it comes from it is the para prakriti which embeds within the soul its path of evolution that's the beautiful part in everybody the evolutionary path has been already put like a little blueprint para prakriti becomes the jiva and impels it to act to the field of nature and if it follows faithfully its swadharma then it will evolve even where it doesn't talk about worship ritual nothing but swadharma is the sacred trust of every human being so first distinguish that cultivate the higher sattvic qualities rajo sattvic then act according to swadharma then do these things as a yagna and then finally surrender everything and take refuge in me just a few quick steps are there okay thank you we meet in the evening